Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and I think this is the pulpit Bible. Uh, thank you for that, Mark. There we go. Hebrews chapter 3, we've got to get used to the different versions. I asked what version it was when I got home and I left the right version at the college. That's where I use the right version. So we'll read chapter 3 here. There we go. Thank you, Marianne. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you for the privilege of joining with your family today. So let's read Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They haven't known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you, any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Wasn't it not with all those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. May it be true that we hear his voice today. Amen. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. I remember when I came to this church, Marianne and I were just newly married, and it was wonderful. I had twinkles in my eyes. She was the most beautiful lady in the world, still is. Uh, but it was wonderful to be married. We had our first child here, and I discovered that marriage starts off great, but then that thing comes in called hard work, you know. Uh, and then we have all those ups and downs of life. And when we start off in marriage, you kind of look at the other person, you says, I'm in, so in love, nothing can go wrong. And then when the difficulties come, you think, oi, is this the same person I married, you know? Uh, and you, you ask those questions. And it's a little bit like that with the Christian life. When we start off, when we receive the incredible free gift of God's grace, we go, wow, God loves me. I'm forgiven of all my sins. I'm transformed. And we see the change in our lives, and we're so excited. We even go and have a bath in public with our clothes on, and we call it baptism. And we, we have all sorts of wonderful things happen to us. And we're just so in love with the Lord but then as we go on in the church, maybe year after year, we start seeing things or we hear things and we wonder, is it worth it? And we see so-and-so is not here after COVID and such-and-such and such hasn't ha happened and so-and-so said this. And, and then we begin to struggle. The book of Revelation speaks to the Ephesians who love God and that Paul prayed that their love might abound more and more and yet Jesus says to them in the book of Revelation that your love has grown cold. And how does that happen? How does that journey happen from the first love, that, that romantic honeymoon love that we have when we marry and when we become a follower of Jesus and the danger of growing cold? Well, here we read in this passage a warning to us, a reminder that when others are looking around and, and they fall and perhaps they're wounded by the words or the deeds of others, other believers even in the church, and when we treat one another poorly, you see, when people claim at first to be following Jesus and then they do things that don't mirror Jesus, yet this passage calls all of us and God speaks through his word to say that we need to persevere because perseverance is the true test of a Christian. Why does God say that? Well, we need to look at that. Here, Hebrews chapter 3 is an exhortation. It exhorts us and it motivates us. And it gives us powerful examples to learn from. Positive examples like Jesus. It says there in verse 1, uh, Holy brothers, fix your thoughts on Jesus. This morning as I reviewed my message for today, I remembered something. That the last message I preached before I left here as an assistant pastor in this church was that message, fix your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 11. And God again has given me this passage early in the week when I was asked what am I going to be preaching on. And it's a similar passage now from Hebrews chapter 3. The reminder here to fix your thoughts on Jesus because the author of Hebrews probably Paul but whoever it was reminds us that the ultimate positive example is Jesus that when you think I can't put another foot in front of the next I can't keep going look to Jesus 
We are to look to him in all things. He went through everything. Though he had all the riches of heaven, he humbled himself and became a man and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And then he died on a cross where he could have called down 10,000 angels. He became as nothing. Now, as he's risen from the dead on the third day and victory has been proclaimed through all ages, now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and every knee will bow, our knees and every other knee in the whole universe. And we will proclaim him as Lord, for he is almighty and we are to look to him. And we look to the positive example of Jesus. And this passage goes back and says, but also learn from the negative examples. Go back to Psalm 95, it says, and look at what God did in the Exodus and look at what how Psalm 95 sums it up and learn from that, that you have both the positive and negative here. And so this Hebrews 3 teaches us that faithfulness is encouraged by a healthy focus on Jesus and can be negatively affected by our own sinfulness and by unbelief even here we are warned. But when we come into the body of Christ, when we do not forsake the gathering together of God's people, we don't miss a service, we don't miss a Sunday for anything. We keep going, one foot in front of another. I, is Pastor Charles running the comrades this year? Not? Okay, that must be a first. But, you know, the, think of the comrades runners. There are those guys out there now just putting one foot in front of another, trying to get to the finish line. Some of you have run it, I know that. And we can watch them on the television, but the point is this passage calls us to the same sort of perseverance. And so the question really is three things today, and I want us to look at those. From this passage, firstly, is are you truly a Christian? So we look at what is a true Christian, firstly. Secondly, we look at beware of false and true assurance. There is a, an assurance we can have as Christians, but there's also a false assurance. And thirdly, we look at what we are to do is to take unfaithfulness. So let's look at this passage and open it up together this morning together. Firstly, are you truly a Christian? You see, we are told there in verse 1 that we are sharers in the heavenly calling. Verse 14 says, you have come to share in Christ. Notice that little word, if. If you hold firmly till the end the confidence you had at first. If you're truly a Christian, so how do we interpret these conditional statements that are made in verse 6 in particular and verse 14? Well, the author addresses us corporately as Christians and he says we as his house in verse 6 and we have come in verse 14 and the context is to us as a church where we gather together as the body of Christ, some of us as hands and some of us flapping lips up front here and all of us needed in the body of Christ as we come together as a group of Christ followers, we need to know that there is a truth. If point A is true, if point B is true. So what does it say here? Point A is true, if point B is true. Firstly, we are Christ's house, provided we hold on to. Or we have come to be sharers in Christ, says verse 14, if we hold firmly to the, to the end. Now, is this just the writer of Hebrews coming up with a, a sense of doubt? Are we supposed to be worried and nervous about our salvation? Well, read the rest of the scriptures. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, You, however, are controlled 
not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if, so that'll be the next slide, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Romans uh, 11 and verse 22 says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Colossians 1 and verse 22 and 23, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. And so we have a tension here. Are you truly a Christian? Well, the tension inherent in these conditional constructions indicates a fundamental principle for dealing with matters related to a person's relationship with Christ. That from a human perspective, on the status of another person, we can't judge. The Bible tells us not to judge. But we need to look at our own hearts. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Again, like Jesus said to Peter when he asked, What about John? And Jesus said, you don't worry about John. If I want him to be around for a long time, he can be around. But you feed my sheep. You be faithful. And that's the challenge of this passage that we are reminded here, that we are to examine ourselves, not look at other Christians. And the truth is, if we look at other Christians, if we look at the church, or if we look at the world, we're going to fall. The things of this world will choke us. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so the author of Hebrews cannot give an unqualified assurance that those that are drifting away from God are really part of his house. He's saying to us, if we are finding, ah, let me skip one Sunday a month. Then let me skip a few months in a year and just become one of those Eastern Christmas Christians, you know. And if I become like that, then ultimately I'm never going to be there. and never going to be in heaven if that's the trajectory We are to not forsake the gathering together. And so we need to remember that we cannot gain salvation, but that our salvation through perseverance, but our salvation is demonstrated by perseverance. How do you know that you really are a Christian? It's when you keep running. You keep putting one foot in front of another and you keep in the race and you don't give up. When all the things come your way, when all the forces of the the evil one would come against you to distract you, your shield of faith is up and you've got the sword of the Spirit in your hand and you keep fighting and you don't give up for anything. And so are you truly a Christian? Well, look at your perseverance. But then let's look secondly then at true and false assurance. You say, well, I'm I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized at Central. That's the best church in South Africa, you know. And and, and Pastor Mark or John or or Charles or one of them did it. And and that makes me okay. No, it's not that. So what do we say? Biblical theology provides a rich spectrum uh, of truths about humanity and about our relationship with God. We need to dig into this passage and we need to realize that just like the doctrine of, the, uh, of Jesus, that he is 100% God, he is fully God, and yet he is fully human. 
Fully God, fully human, 100% human, fully and fully God, 100% human and God. And there's a mystery there. We need to keep that in balance and intention. And that truth is what we teach. And we need to learn that truth. And that applies to this doctrine as well here. As we dig into the systematic and exegetical study of the Bible, it's so important that we keep truth in balance. For instance, at Baptist Theological College, we try and teach our students, we're training them to handle the Word of God rightly. And there's a danger that we kind of repeat the same mistakes that have happened throughout history, but God calls us back to His Word, to stick to His Word. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, we have a great challenge at Baptist Theological College. When I was first in Pretoria, I was in the military, and I served in one of the divisions, of support divisions of the military. But I realized that in the military, there are many different parts. Uh, there is the supports parts. There's the frontline troops. But the people that make a war happen and, and win the victories, in a sense, are the special forces. They go into the battle first. They're on the, the tip of the spear, as we say in South Africa. They're the, the people that fight the, the good fight first. And those are in the church, the theologians, the pastors, those that are dealing with all the issues and keeping everything in balance theologically. And so people say, well, why do we need to send our young people get trained if they want to be a pastor? Why don't they just read the Bible and and pray every day type of thing? Well, there are many pitfalls out there and we need to equip our people to be like the special forces, fitter than everybody else, faster than everybody else, and able to fight the good fight on their knees and not give up and to persevere to the end. And so I see ourselves at BTC as a sense of a special forces training ground, in a sense. I hope I'm not being presumptuous in that, that what we produce, as you look at Pastor Charles, for instance, as a man who's been through so much, and yet God has used him mightily. And you can see that it's been through all the years of training, and they've now paid off, and you are reaping the fruit of what BTC started off. Him and I were young first-year students in there, and we learned together as we went. We were in class together. And the challenge is, is we need to train up the next generation because your next pastor is going to be probably a college now in 10 years' time, 20 years' time. I always think it's a little bit like that little part on your pay slip, your pension. You know, you don't worry about your pension until you retire. Then suddenly you realize, oops, that little deduction was very important. (laughs) Well... What you invest in Baptist Theological College, what you give towards the work of BTC is in a sense for your next pastor and the one after that, that you raise up a godly generation that will serve faithfully in the days that lie ahead. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And that, sorry, is a bit of an aside there. But this passage brings us back to the fact that when we deal with assurance, we need to know that there is a positive side and a negative side. It highlights the fact that we can have a false assurance. The false assurance arises when we say, well, I'm a Christian, but we blatantly carry on sinning. We carry on living just like the world, but we say, but I prayed a prayer. I, I, I felt tingles or, you know, down my spine, or I was even baptized in this church. But we live like the world. 
I had one situation uh, a while back where we had a door steward. He was a faithful door steward, uh, and he was even on the evangelism team, EE3, with me. And then his wife raised a few issues with us, and we discovered that he had a problem with alcohol. And we dealt with that, and then he left his wife, and he moved in with a widow who had a lot of money, and suddenly he was drinking her money. And we said, at that point, that's enough. And he said, ah, I'll go to another church. And he left, and we had to discipline him in terms of biblical church discipline. And I remember the meeting where we as a church agreed that this is not biblical behavior, and we prayed for him, and we uh, left him with the Lord. And a year later, to the day, he never repented, he never changed his way. In actual fact, he was quite arrogant about it. But a year later, on the exact day that we prayed and removed him from the church, he was involved in a car accident where his head was severed from his body. And it was like God gave him 12 months exactly to repent. And then it was over. And we need to remember that we can't claim, but I'm a Christian, I've led other people to the Lord. But if we don't really follow Jesus, if we don't live in a relationship with our Lord and Savior, just as we have relationships with one another, surely the God who created us wants a relationship with us. And if we're faking it, we're coming to church, being a door steward, being a deacon even, or a pastor even, but we're not living the life in a real relationship with Jesus, then we can have no assurance And so that's why Romans 6 and verse 1 to 4 remind us that our relationship with Christ involves a reckoning of ourselves as dead to sin, denying sin's mastery over the mortal body. In other words, God's grace to us provides a means of freedom from sin. That when we're in the habit of sin, we cry out to Jesus and we say, Oh Lord Jesus, deliver me. Set me free and we see the power of God transforming us in every area of our lives. But as Romans 6 says here, it's a freedom from sin, not a freedom to sin. It doesn't excuse us to say, well, I'm saved by Jesus, now I can live like I like. No, we take hold of this grace and we now live a new life, living and are transformed day by day by the grace of God. And we live a a life that pleases him. And so we've got to be careful, says the writer of Hebrews here, not to let our hearts become calloused and hard, cold, where we say, well, I was saved in such and such a date, and we can look back to a date, and we depend on words we said and not on the God who alone who can save us. And so an overemphasis on Romans 10, 9 and 10, where we say, well, I've confessed Jesus with my lips. I've believed on him in my heart. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. Well, yes, if you now persevere, if you keep walking and you don't go down the way that you were going, you turn from that way to follow him. And so that day-by-day grace that we need, when we perhaps are tempted to gossip and we run to the Lord Jesus, say, oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me for passing on a story about somebody that's not even present. Forgive me and cleanse me and fill me with good words and pure words and kind words. And we take every sin captive and we turn it over to Jesus and we find the grace of God poured out in our lives moment by moment for every area of our being. And so this danger exists if we even encourage somebody and we say, oh, you, you made a promise at, at Central. And now look at you. 
No, we need to say, you need to return to the Lord. Change the way you're thinking. Return to Him and remember where you once were. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. And when you have turned back to God, then as you put one foot in front of another following Jesus, even through the dark valley, even through all the hardships, then you keep going. And so we are warned here about a true confession and a true assurance and a false assurance. When we say, oh, I'm okay because I prayed a prayer. No, prayers don't save you. Jesus saves you. It's us asking him to save him. Yes, it's through prayer. But we don't depend on what we've prayed. We depend on Jesus. And when we've received from him a salvation that is so rich and so free, we now live a new life. Moment by moment, depending on him for everything in our lives. But if we are now to say that there is a true and a false assurance, thirdly, we need to see in this passage that we need to take on faithfulness. We need to live in an age of not being just sound bites and instant gratification, but a day-by-day obedience in the same direction. And there's an excellent book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's the idea of keeping going, that in this fast-paced age, we still need to return to the Lord and live a life of daily obedience, daily working through the mundane experiences, maybe not the mountaintops of this world, but for a long period of time, we need to keep following Jesus, keep our eyes on our Master and Savior. Why? Because perseverance is the true test of a Christian. And so faithfulness then flows from a clear and healthy view of Jesus. And so the unflagging true follower of Jesus focuses on Jesus himself. If you were to look back at your week, have you looked at the worries? Maybe tomorrow's issues at work already are in your mind. How am I going to solve this? How am I going to do that? Or is it a case of I've got my eyes on you, Lord Jesus? And you've got tomorrow. I'm here to worship you and I'm going to adore you and trust you to work out all things for good. Is your heart fixed on Jesus or is the worries of this world choking your faith? And the the deceitfulness of wealth, oh, have I got enough for this or have I got enough for that? And you've, you've lost your first love. That sparkle in your eye is gone because you have taken your eyes off Jesus. And so the challenge of this passage is to go back to him. You say, how do I do that? Well, how do you keep Jesus as the focus of your heart? Well, you go back to his word. Are you reading his word? I was so encouraged in the early days of this this semester, I thought I'd ask these young students, how many chapters a day are you reading? Many of them were reading six or seven chapters a day, and I thought, wonderful. Do you know that if you read just four chapters of the Bible a day, you'll read the whole Bible in a year? And how do we speak to God? Pray. How does God speak to us? Through his word. And so we need to go back to his word and be listening for him every day, reading his word. And read even more than that if you can. But read and take in his God's word. Learn from him. Yes, study his word. And I'd encourage you as a principal of the college, if you're in leadership of a Sunday school or a deacon or an elder, consider doing a a certificate of Christian ministry. You can do it in one year, 10 subjects, or you can do it in 10 years, one subject a year. But the point is, you'd be equipping yourself and learning, in a sense, what the pastors are learning, but 
applying that in the, in the ministry, in the church. You could do it from home, you could do it in your own time, all online, or if you want to come full-time to the college, we've got that opportunity as well. But God does want us to know what he has said in his word. He wants us to equip ourselves. So yes, read your, the Bible, and then pray and obey. Do what he has told you to do. What is the last thing God told you to do? If you feel like God is not speaking to you, then go back and ask yourself the question, what is the last thing that God told me to do? Maybe it was holding on to bitterness and God said, get rid of all bitterness and complaining and grumbling. Maybe you've been grumbling about Eskom and now this week you've had nothing to do. Eh? You know? And you've been, now God says, do everything without complaining and arguing. And you need to go back to Jesus. Oh Lord Jesus, I forgot that. Forgive me. You run to him, you say, forgive me, cleanse me with your blood afresh, fill me with words that are good and pure and lovely, that every word that I speak to my neighbor or my family or my friends is encouraging and uplifting and edifies others. And so we run to him in prayer, we take up his word and we study it and we live it out. But we need to return to an intimacy with the Lord. If I chose to be close to my wife and just uh, spoke to her once in a while, came home once every six months, or maybe just phoned her occasionally when I needed something, then that wouldn't be much of a marriage. How much more the God who created marriage calls us into a deep and intimate relationship with him. A marriage that will last forever. Literally, because our earthly marriages are just for this life. For some of you, that's a relief. You're not going to be with your spouse forever. But for others of you, that's quite a thought. That marriage is just a privilege for this life. It's a, it's a laboratory where you learn how to live forever with others and get on with them. And that's the miracle of it. I'm glad you got a marriage seminar coming up. Maybe I must come to that and, and learn again. But we need all of that. But the point that I'm trying to say here is we need an intimate relationship because the most frightening words in the Bible for me is where Jesus said, but Lord, we've cast our demons, we've served in the church, we've done this and we've done that. And Jesus said to them, but I never knew you. Depart from me. If you've done miracles and if you've served faithfully, but you do not know Jesus personally, then you're in great eternal danger. And you might fool everybody, be a door steward like that man was. For years he was in the church. But unless you love Jesus above all, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and shape and mold that mind with studies if necessary, and all of that is needed. You see, holy living is not an abrupt living. It's coming to be with God and talking with him day by day. It's spending more and more time with him, growing in that relationship. So how can we end this message? Well, let me remind you of what Paul said in one, uh, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 17. 7. When Paul was about to die, and he was writing the last book that he wrote in the New Testament, he didn't say, I have planted a thousand churches. I've led 10,000 people to the Lord. I've done this and I've done that. What did Paul say? He said this simply, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Can you say that of your life? Some of you have prayed for me and Mariana. People say, how did you become the principal? Because people prayed for us. Do you know that I have people praying for me every day and I stand here as a principal of a Baptist theological college not by anything that Daryl has done but by the prayers of God's people and by God's grace and his grace alone. The reality is we all need to do that. We all need to keep running the good race. And so are you negligent about studying his word? Have you become, you know, I know it all. I I learned it in Bible class and I've been through the Sunday school. Or are you in an enthusiastic relationship going, oh Lord, this is my prayer. What is your answer? And you're searching the scriptures and learning more about Jesus. And he's teaching you something new about himself every day. And that there is nothing that he has told you to do that you've left undone, that you're obedient. Because he won't speak until you obey the last thing he told you to do. If it's bitterness, get rid of all bitterness. Confess it and receive his grace moment by moment. And so I need to ask you as we end off here, if there are repeated clashes in your life and explosions of personal challenges, be they persecution from the outside or internal sin in your own heart, if they threaten to drown out the voice of God, turn back to Jesus and find spiritual health by seeking after the Lord, knocking at his door, seeking, and he will open and he will answer. You see, Jesus is experienced in making a way. We sometimes sing that old song that he will make a way where there is no way. Maybe you think, but I have failed in this area so much. Can God ever have mercy on me? Yes. But it does need you to turn to him. Cry out to him, oh Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, the worst of sinners. Forgive me and cleanse me today again. And keep me walking one day at a time, following you, because perseverance is the true test of a Christian. Don't put your confidence or your assurance in anything past. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. He alone can keep you, as we say in the benediction, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and then one day to present you before his glorious presence without a single spot or blemish. Imagine a beautiful bride's dress, white and spotless, That's how we will be for Jesus, our bridegroom. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to be here and the challenge of your word to turn away from our own ways in little things, in the words we say, the thoughts we think, and in the big things, even those things that maybe only a few know about, but you see Today, Lord, we come to you confessing to you our every sin. and We know that you are just and you are faithful not only to forgive us but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then to present us before your presence without spot or blemish. 
And so, Lord Jesus, we come. We come to you. Have mercy on us, a sinner. Remember us, each one, even in your kingdom now. And meet with us. May this day not just be another day, but may we be sure of our relationship with you by our daily intimate walk with you, putting one foot in front of another, following you, Lord Jesus. For this we pray in your all-powerful name, the name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.